Uh, it's good to see you guys. I've been out for, it feels like a couple weeks, but I was, I was in Colorado. I got to backpack and take a break. It was, it was fun, and I'm getting older. I used to be able to do days and days of that, miles and miles, and I tried it again, and it was like, oh, these mountains are a little tall this time. Not as much air in Colorado. I blame it on the oxygen levels in Colorado. That's what it was. I was at nine and 10,000 feet. Can't breathe up there. I had to get back down, get in a normal, normal bed. Uh, but it was a good trip. It was good to get out. I encourage all of you guys to get out and do that kind of thing. I'm, I'm happy to be back, though. It's good to be back. It's good to be here. It's good to be in God's presence. It's good to see you guys. I get to talk to my friends about my best friend, Jesus. So that's, that's exciting. That's super exciting. So let's settle in. We're going to start round two here. Um, I've got an unusually l- large amount of scripture to work through today. Unusually large. We're going through an entire psalm together today. Um, I thought of a lot of ways to break this down. Instead of breaking it down and simplifying it, we're just going to get through the whole thing. It's going to be powerful. Um, and I went crazy on my colors. So there's a whole color scheme we're going to use today. Uh, but the topic is building a monument of praise. And so we're, we're kind of, we're working towards the end of our focus on praise and worship. Um, one of the, the most fundamental aspects of the Christian faith, if you're, if you're just saying, I want to read scripture and understand what this Christian faith is all about, you start at Genesis and you work your way forward, you'll find that the history of Christianity is marked by individuals who in faith reached out to God. God, in turn, reaches back to them, answers their cry of faith. They then worship him. And oftentimes, the significant events are marked by them erecting or constructing a monument. There's a monument created all throughout the Old Testament. You have Moses doing it. You have the different prophets doing it. You've got all the and Israelites doing it throughout their era of following God in faith, either through the desert, through wars, different things. They create these monuments to remember the thing that God did. What's a monument in America? Think of like Abraham Lincoln's statue in Washington. Think of like the big, on the Washington Monument, that big obelisk. Just huge, huge piles of stones. Like in the Bible it says they, they made a pile of stones there. Uh, those were monuments that they made. But this is, there's a reason for it. It's a significant thing. It doesn't end in the Old Testament. And I want to I get to the core of what this was about and, and how it actually is practical and applicable to us, why it's so, 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 so significant. Um, and we're going to look at Jesus and what he did and how he used or employed a monument to get through one of his probably hardest moments. All right, building a monument of praise. The first thing we'll highlight is this little guy. Take some work. Let's go to the next slide. Take some work. All right, so Jesus, you guys all know the story of the cross, so this is where we're going to go. It's going to be a little heavy, but it's going to be absolutely awesome. So you guys okay with a little heavy? All right, it's part of us. It's part of life. Okay, it says, about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani. That is, so that was Aramaic, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, forsaken means 
forsaken. You guys know what forsaken means. Like, turned your back on me, walked away from me. Jesus, when he's on the cross, shouts this out. He shouts this out. Okay, so I want you guys with me. We're going to slow down a little bit. I want you to go there with me. Let's slow down and remember. Jesus, he does the Via de la Rosa. He's carrying the cross. He's whipped. He's punished. It's, it's brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal. He's, he's finally raised up on the cross. And he says, while he's up there, this phrase, why have you forsaken me? That's a very, very strong statement from a guy who was as connected to God as anyone could ever be. He was so, so connected to God, he was God. He was as close to, as not just conversant, connected to, as anyone could ever be. And Jesus in this moment says, why have you forsaken me? All right, so that's the picture, that's where we're starting. Let's go to the next scripture. This is in Mark 8. This is before the cross. Jesus says this. He says, Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So here's what I want you to consider. Jesus, long before he gets to the cross, knew it was going to happen. He absolutely was not surprised by what happened that day. It was completely in the plan. It was all part of God's design. Jesus knew it was coming. And then we have this moment where Jesus on the cross says, in, a most, in the most sincere way, God, why have you forsaken me? You would think that if this was all part of the script and there was no confusion about what was happening, Jesus would have just said, I know what's going on, let's get through this. I know what's necessary for me to fulfill my task. This is all part of the plan, bear down, deal with it, let's go. But Jesus says these words, God, why have you forsaken me? Which either says that he was confused about God's lack of intervention or it points to something else. I don't think he was confused. I think he knew that this was according to, to plan. So what happens when he says these words is he's pointing to something much, much deeper, much more significant. He's, he's pointing to something that was said in Psalms because that line, God, why have you forsaken me, is the first line that we're going to read here in a second. And what I want you to understand, it wasn't just Jesus fulfilling scripture. There's more to it. There was a human being on the cross. There was a human being going through something that is probably, I don't, guys, you know how rough that was, right? Like it's the hardest thing anyone could ever go through, a slow, arduous death. Slow death, it's really, really painful physically. A slow death where you know you're dying, you're going to die, and it's just anguish, and it's designed to be that way. A very, very, very painful experience. There's nothing like it any of us will probably ever experience. It is a very, very low point in all of humanity's like physical experience on earth. A man was there going through that. A man, Jesus, was there going through that. But Jesus was prepared for this. He was well prepared. He was mentally well prepared, as well prepared as he could have been. And you say, how could someone go through something like that 
with intention. You say, well, he's God. Well, he was man and God, and he kind of forsake his godship to become man in place of us. So he was pretty much human as he was going through this. He was the best version of a human, and he was capable of walking through this really, really brutal moment because he was so well prepared. He had something built into him. He had years of preparation where he was actually teaching his disciples before it happened, hey, this is going to happen. It's going to go like this. And they were like, no, we don't know what he's talking about. He's wild. He doesn't, we don't get it. But he knew. And he was preparing his heart and his mind to actually go through with this his whole duration of his ministry life. There was power in this man. There was power of not just the anointing that God had put on him, there was excellence in him. There was perfect preparation. There was perfect execution of a life that God had intended him to live. And so when we look to Jesus, we look to him as the, not just this icon of like awesomeness, but he actually modeled for us how we're supposed to live. He was the perfect prophet. He was the perfect evangelist. He was the perfect teacher. He was the perfect pastor. He, what else? Evangelist. He was a perfect evangelist, pastor, teacher. There's five of them. Um, he was perfect at life. And so when we look to life and we look then to God and we go, how do we navigate the life God has given us? We should first look to Jesus and go, how did he navigate life? Well, then you go, okay, I got some really hard stuff. How do I navigate hard stuff? Well, we look to Jesus and there's no harder experience than the ones he, he went through. So what I want to look at today is what Jesus did to prepare, not just for the good, but for all that he knew he was going to walk through in life. And so Jesus, like us, went to the Bible. All right, let's go to the next scripture here, next section. Oh, okay, good. This is this cool part. Hold on. I got two sides to this because we have so much scripture to go through today. We're going through the entire uh, chapter 22. The entire Bible, yes, Bethany. We're going we're gonna to read the whole Bible today. I hope you guys have a few hours, like, like 58 hours. Okay, uh, who's going to be my lion side? I'm going to keep you guys engaged. All right, lion side. All right, you guys are the lion side. So when we see that, you guys are going to stand up, and we're going to read that together. And then we're going to have another side that is that workout baby side. You guys are the workout baby side. When we see that, you're going to stand up. So right now we're on the lion side. So this side, lions, stand up. Yeah, this is not optional. And you guys are, you're, you're totally capable. Okay, can you read that from where you're at? So first of all, we're going to talk abandonment. I'll talk about it in a second. But let's just read this scripture. This is Psalms 22, verses 1 and 2. 1, 2, 3. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Roaring, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. All right, sit down. That was like a quarter of his, the volume I need. I need way more volume from you guys. That was not lions. That was not lions. That was like baby cubs. We need lions, but we'll, come, we'll give you another chance. All right. I want to highlight a few things. This is Psalms 22, verse 1. That first line is the line that Jesus yelled out while he was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is it coincidence? No, it was not coincidence. If you were an Israelite during the time, or Jew during the time of Jesus' life, you were raised with the Bible. 
You memorized scripture, you studied scripture, you were taught scripture, you read the Psalms all the time. Jesus, probably being a little better than most, had all of these Psalms not only memorized, he lived with them, they were in him. He comes to this moment and there's this connection between not just him and God and him being on assignment, there's connection to scripture that is welling up within him, sustaining him and challenging him, and also prompting not only his heart and mind, but his body, his willingness to endure. It's connected to something that's been in him since the time he was a child. And so Jesus on the cross, he stands with the lions, and he makes this statement. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? What we're going to see as we read through this Psalms 22, we're going to see the, the aspect of life where we call on God and we say, I need you to come, why aren't you here? <laughs> I need you to be here, there's stuff going on, why aren't you here? Jesus said, God, I need you to be here, why aren't you here? And it's interesting because if you read this, that words of my groaning, so why are you so far from helping me? Have you guys ever felt like that before? Like you're like, I'm a really good Christian and life's really great. And then all of a sudden life like just turns left and you're like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not cool. Didn't know this is how it was going to work. And you get to this point where you're like, why are you so far away from me? Why aren't you helping me? And you're really not listening to the words of my groaning. You guys don't say words of my groaning. I, I don't suspect. Soph, Soph talks in King James sometimes. It's really weird. And I'm used to it. But most of you probably don't. But most of you, this, this words of my groaning is also, if you look at the literal language, it's words of my roaring. Roaring. That's a hard word for me to say. Roaring. Lion-like roaring. Roaring. There's something about your willingness to cry out to God in moments of despair, confusion, disillusion, question, that is, that is fundamental to being a healthy, mighty person. You say, well, healthy, mighty people don't have problems. No, healthy, mighty people know how to deal with problems. They don't deal with them quietly, silently, on their own. They cry out because they know that God hears and they're honest and they're vocal and they're strong. And sometimes it feels like an accusation when you cry out and you feel afraid to make a cry towards a God who you know is good, but you cry out from a place of honesty because there's honesty required of you if you're in real relationship with someone. And so Jesus here in this moment, and I want you guys to get the connection between what he was going through and what he begins to recite. It wasn't that he needed that first line. He needed the whole psalm to get through what he was about to go through. He'd been nailed to the cross. His physical endurance was fading. He was running out of physical strength, and he starts to recite but he doesn't start to recite with a gentle, small voice. He starts to recite from a place of panic, but a place of power, 
because he knows how this psalm ends, but he's at the beginning now. And he says, why have you forsaken me? It's not a place of weakness to say that. It's a necessary place of honesty. And I want to encourage you lion baby cubs who whisper when you read that if you're not honest and you don't cry out when you need to cry out, you're actually shielding God from your circumstance. You're not inviting him in. You're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm big enough to handle this on my own. I don't need you here, therefore I won't call your name. Because I'm afraid if I call your name, I'll be honest, and right now it feels like you're not listening to me and not a part of this. And that hurts me more than anything, so I'm just going to be quiet and be still. That's a bigger challenge, that's a bigger problem than just crying out and saying, hey, where are you? <laughs> I need you. You said you'd be here. And you're not, Elkin. Yeah. All right. So it's okay to roar. When you roar, you're not betraying your God. You're announcing the circumstance because there's, there's hope. If you're a little baby lion, little itty baby lion, little tiny cub lion, and a big enemy shows up, your roar, as loud as it gets, is still not that loud. There's circumstances in life where you know that every ounce of power you could muster aren't going to be big enough to move this circumstance. It's just bigger than you. But funny enough, that's kind of how God's designed us. He's, he's actually, he knows what he shaped when he shaped us, and he knows the circumstances we'll face. He's interested to see if you're lion-like, because lions run in packs. Lions are not ashamed of being alone. Lions know that if the biggest version of them isn't big enough, if they roar, even if it's a little baby roar, <laughs> one of their family's going to hear. Someone's going to hear. Someone is going to come. They'll never leave one of them their own alone. All right, lions, you're not done. Think about how you're going to read next time. It's going to be better. All right, let's go to the next one. That was abandonment. Oh, here's our, here's our trainers. Stand up, guys. Let's read it. I know, I know. These guys feel like better readers. Oh, she's just putting her sunglasses on to read? That's, she's that, uh, don't respond. It looks really cool. It's cool. All right. Now, we just read over here, and we're like, where are you? You've forsaken me. The immediate next phrase, and remember, Jesus on the cross is saying all of these things. The recorder heard, why have you forsaken me? But he keeps going. He keeps going. Let's read this. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Oh, good. You guys can be seated. Good. Oh, that was more lion-like than, oh, baby clap. Oh, we got a golf clap from the uh, lions over there. They're like, nice job. You guys did okay. You did okay. That's it. That's it. All right, so a generational monument. Okay, what we're talking about today is, a, is constructing monuments of praise. Jesus is in this real circumstance. He cries out because the natural emotional feeling 
is, God, where are you? You're physically not here. You're not saving me from this moment. But then the next verse, it says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. What a strange thing to say when you're down in a place where you know your end is near. He's turning like a lion in need of support and help. He's turning and looking up and he's saying, God, in you our ancestors trusted. You see, there's something he's calling on that's bigger than him in that moment. He's remembering in his heart for generations Not just me, but my people. All of my forefathers, we have all trusted in you. And you delivered them. Which implies you're going to deliver me. You, they cried. To you, they cried and were saved. And you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus was calling on generations of monuments that had been constructed because of God's intervention and faithfulness. He was remembering parting the Red Seas. He was remembering the prophets of Baal. He was remembering the miracles he'd wrought and and the deliverance he'd made with other people in their lives. These were monuments that he turned to and he looked to. And you see, well, he was still on the cross, but what allowed him to stay on that cross was his remembrance of the, the faithfulness of God And that God always proved right and always proved true. You see, Jesus was yielding to an assignment that was way beyond the constraints of what a natural person could endure. But he was standing with the endorsement of heaven, and he was standing on a generational commitment from God and saying, if you say this is good, then I'll stay in this position, and I will not deny your goodness. You are a God worthy of praise. There's something about praise. There's the scripture that for the joy that was set before him, God endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross. When, when we, we look to places of joy, which in my mind, praise is a celebration. It's not like a light like him. It's a celebratory thing. It's like a spontaneous eruption, which is what we talked about last time. But it's this it's sincere, joyful celebration. Looking to praise, albeit not in this moment, right? It's like I'm in this moment in life and I have questions, I have challenges. Maybe I have a physical ailment. Maybe I have confusion around like my assignment in work. Maybe my family thing's not what I thought it would be. There's this, this pain or this picture that I'm in and I'm trying to reconcile it. When you just look at the moment but you don't look at it in the context of a lifetime, and I would argue the context of a generation, multiple generations that have gone before you, you're not equipped to get through your moment. You're going to be consumed by what you see, and you're gonna be stuck like the little lions going, hey, where are you? And if you're not able to call on a history, either your own, or in this instance, Jesus points to generations My other generations have looked to you, God, and you've proven faithful. When you get into your moment of challenge, you're going to be overrun 
overwhelmed because you're trying to muster the strength. And Elkin said it really well this morning. There's nothing that we can create ourselves that could allow us to, to generate joy when we have no joy. There's nothing that could create discipline. Like It's like we need his support, but sometimes that support comes in the form of looking at our own history going, see, he did it here, he did it there. Okay, I can do it again, we can go forward. Or he did it for her and he did it for him. And okay, he's true, I know he, can, he will get me through this too. We have to have something to call back on. And a fundamental part of our faith is we're related by blood to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because we've been adopted into the family of God. We are, we are of the lineage of Jesus. Therefore, that history that Jesus called on is the same history we are entitled to call on. So there's no circumstance that's too big for us to navigate if we have the right mindset. And Jesus is demonstrating the right mindset. He's on the cross, and he looks back and he says, for generations God has been good and faithful. He's always delivered. That's who I'm following. All right. Lions, you're going to give it another chance. Let's go to the next one. Stand up. Uh, you lazy lions. Get up. Get up. Get up. All right. L read louder this time. Put our little baby babies over here to shame. Okay. So this one is the lions again. What do the lions do? They yell about the hard stuff. That's what they do. All right. So this is pain, shame, and isolation. Let's go. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Thank you, lions. You may have a seat. That was a little better. Getting louder. Getting bigger. Thank you, thank you. Even in the balcony. There's a lion in the balcony. Yeah, it's working. Oh, this doesn't feel like overcoming language. This doesn't feel good, this, like a worm in the dirt. <laughs> this is not what I would imagine Jesus would be reciting on the cross, but there is, there is value. There's value in being honest with your feelings and able to connect with God no matter how you feel, how you look, or what's going on. I want to highlight that we're starting to get into the story of what's actually happening on the cross. See, there's something beautiful about God. God can strengthen us in so many layers in so many ways. For Jesus, he gave him instruction well in advance. I imagine as a, as a youth or as a teen, Jesus was, was brought to this scripture and God said, this is for you. Psalms 22 is for you. And I imagine that Jesus understood that he would die on a cross but I don't think he would have understood every detail of what was going to happen that day. What would it have taken him to not call on the angels to set him free that day? He would have been rehearsing step by step this scripture. He would say, they're coming and they're, I don't know what making mouths at me is, I think they're making faces and, and, and mocking him. And they're saying, commit your cause to the Lord. Doesn't that sound like something the enemy would say to you if you were trying to follow God and he wasn't freeing you from something you know he was capable of freeing you from? Wouldn't the enemy come and say, why don't you call on God if your God's so powerful? And all the while you know God is standing there and you're in his will, but you're still enduring the season. 
Wouldn't the enemy come to mock and to remind you that he hasn't delivered you, so why don't you call on him, oh, it's just a joke after all. But see, that, that treatment and that approach of the enemy is not new. God knew it's exactly what would happen to Jesus on the cross, and he forewarned him with this scripture. He said, they're going to come and they're going to mock. Be brave, be resilient. And while the, while the recorders of scripture didn't write it down, he's still reading in his heart and in his mind. He's reciting this verse because he's a lion and he's bold and he knows that there's strength in being connected not just to God but to God's promises, his prophecy, the history of not only yourself but to all those that have gone before you. It's what allows you to endure your seasons. All right. Pain, shame, and isolation. One of the things I will highlight here if you spend more time in it, the psalmist goes from a, a place of isolation where it's I am alone. I am alone. I am a worm, I am small, and I am alone. And now there's people starting to show up, and they're mocking me. The crowd and the image is changing for the psalmist, and it's also true in Jesus' experience. And then I'll also tell you, in like kind, it can be that way in your experience, where when hardship comes, it feels that you're suddenly realizing we're alone. And then it feels that there's people or voices coming to kind of mock at your aloneness and your isolation and your pain. This is not a unique strategy for Jesus on the cross. This is a universal strategy for how the enemy works in our lives. It comes to try to isolate. It comes to try to tell you you do not have power, nor does your God have power over your circumstance. And the fundamental question is always, where is your God? Why are you in your circumstance? And we as like people will go, ah, uh, God, why aren't you in my circumstance? Like, why aren't you here? At first, it's kind of like, hey, hey, are you coming? Okay, maybe I need to pray. All right, five minutes. Pray. Jesus, come. Why have you forsaken me? And like, you start reciting scripture. You pop up, and you're like, where are you? Oh, where are you? <laughs> okay, you're not here. It, it's a normal part of life that God raises a baby up, even if it's a baby lion, and he says, now go for a walk. And you're out on your own, and threats come. Enemies come. And the question is, will you roar with trust, knowing that he's there to protect you and come to you, or will you question and turn and agree with the voice that says, where is your God? All right, let's go to the next one. Where's my, oh, they're, they're back, they're back. The green team, let's go green team. I know, I'm keeping you awake. It's all part of my strategy. It's way too much scripture for one day. All right, nine and 10. Okay, we just went from a hard, sad, heavy place. That's you guys, by the way. Now we're gonna go to a little bit of hope and joy and it's personal this time and it's a personal monument of praise. Remember the last set of praise was, you did this for our forefathers? Now, let's see what they have to say. Yet, yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. 
Oh, good job. Sit down, guys. Good job. Ooh, that's a good thing to say. It's all, like, there's people surrounding me, mocking me, because you're not helping me out of this circumstance. But when I was a baby, you actually came and saved me. You actually protected my life. You delivered me and brought me to a safe and healthy place. Wow, there's power here because he's calling on his own history, even if it's as simple as the history of him surviving his childhood. You go, I didn't, never had any miracles in my life. I never had any like major God showing up and doing miraculous things. No, 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 I don't think you understand. The fact that you're alive is a miraculous thing. The fact that we're breathing and have life and weren't corrupted or broken by the tens of thousands of things that could have corrupted and broken our bodies from the time we're, we're born. God's miracles have never stopped in your life. It's a choice. Can you slow down to appreciate the fact that I'm here in this moment demonstrates the mighty hand of God preserving, protecting enabling, empowering. His spirit is still in me. This circumstance might be large and loud. Maybe the enemies around me are big and strong, but there's something different, and I recognize God is big, and he's a wonder worker in my life. Jesus models it, and I want you to look at that little baby. He's getting stronger by reciting these things. He's done way more pull-ups than I have this year already. <laughs> like, there's something Strength. He, he's building a monument. He's calling on his own monument. There's, there's work being done when he's praising in the midst of his circumstance. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh-oh, they're back. This is a short one. This will be quick. Come on, stand up. Nice and short. Okay, but, but I called on my circumstance. I, I did a good job, but the facts are, God, let's read it, trouble is near. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. All right. Whew. I am not going to lunch with these guys. This is a downer over here. <laughs> trouble is near. Okay, so remember there was people talking about me. Now it's getting closer. Like there is physical harm approaching, and it's real and it's loud. I just want you guys to understand this dialogue, while honest, cannot be the only dialogue we have. If you don't counter it with the, the little guy doing pull-ups that calls on praise, you, though a Christian, will live defeated and under the weight of your circumstance, buried by the, like, the prospect of the enemy in your life. Where there is no hope, there is no life. Where there's no hope, there's no joy. Where there's no hope, there's no Jesus. Where there's no hope, there's no God. And you say, well, I've, I've given my heart to God. I know he's real. However, your life must be an expression of, of the surety of that truth in you. And while we have to, like lions, crawl, cry out, like, don't be far from me, which is an invitation to God, which is a key thing, and it's a very good thing, and it's a necessary thing. We cry to the king lion, like the big lion, come and save me. We just need to be cautious that we don't get stuck on there is no one to help. 
There is no one to help because there is someone to help. You're never, ever, ever alone. You're never, ever alone. All right. What's next? Okay. No, I'm going to read this one really fast. Everyone was like, please don't make us read that. Okay. I'm just going to read this because this gets into the scene of the cross. It's so powerful, so amazing. I'm going to read it, and I kind of summarize it as trouble is closing in and the scene at the cross. It says, many many bulls encircle me. Okay, guys, now remember, they were talking about me. Trouble's getting near. Now I'm surrounded. Like there's enemies physically here. They encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. You guys know that's the story of the cross. You guys remember the Roman soldiers fought or like gambled over his clothes. Isn't it amazing that God had written this down generations before? Isn't it amazing that Jesus is remembering this whole psalm while he's on the cross? He's he's reciting from memory in his heart this, this verse, not just these verses, but this whole story that tells what's happening before it happens. He knew it was coming and it was providing him strength. Let's go to the next one. All right. I call this the combat SOS, violence. It says, but you, O Lord, do not be far away. That's like, come help. Come help. They're taking my clothes. Oh, my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. All right, we're to the point where we're at the mouth of the lion. Like the mouth. We're not talking about things surround. It's like, it's here now. It's, it's right here. Like, I think it's time. Like, I think it's time. I, I just, guys, I wish this didn't connect with us in any way once we got saved. But truthfully, we are, we're in a life where we're in a kingdom, where we've turned our lives over to the kingdom. And then our, our beautiful call is not just to get healed and transformed to where we are set free, Our beautiful call is to then take ground and start stepping into places that are dark and we're light and we're surrounded when we do. But we go without fear. And when we go, God's grace surrounds us, but eventually we come into contact with combat. Eventually we do. We attempt to take ground that hasn't been taken either for ourselves or for others. We move to a place like Berkeley where there's a lot of strong things here, but God sends you here and you go, I know I'm supposed to be here, but man, I've been here for six months and it's rough. I, I don't feel like myself. You're taking, you're in a new place and you're trying to maintain the kingdom of God. And it's okay, it's okay for us to feel like the lion that needs to cry out to God. In fact, it's what Jesus modeled. Let's go to the next one. Okay, we're getting purple now. All right, this is a whole new colors. This is life-changing. You guys still awake? Good. All right, colors. Colors help. Okay, 
I'm going to read here. So it says, from the horns, so save me, right? He's like, save me. From the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. <gasps> Something's shifted. Something's changed in this psalm, and it says, you have rescued me. Not just I'm being threatened and attacked, but I actually have been saved. Let's go to the next one. We're going to keep going. This is basically going to outline how do we personally build a monument of praise. So here's the question for you guys. Do you expect at any point in the remainder of your life, from now until you give up or God gives you up, you will experience something that will be hard, that you will need to call on God for? Okay, the answer is yes. You just passed your test. Yes. You will face a challenge at some point that feels really big, and really large. The question will be not is God faithful? The question will be will you be able to endure with a lion-like resolve and carry the kingdom through whatever that circumstance is and then when it's over God says well done good and faithful servant. So here's the assignment for all of us. Not just to go through life and experience hard things but to go through life with this great resolve realizing we are powerful people that God has called on to stand with great courage and faith, not to worry if we feel alone, but to know that he will come. He will come. He will deliver. He has delivered. And we are in good company if we're under assault. And we're also definitely under the eye of God who will come to, to save us. So let's read this. Uh, I can't read pink on red. Who would do that? That's terrible. It's like a color test for a colorblind guy. Oh, three. Holy smokes. All right, I can read it on here. <laughs> All right, good luck. All right, so verse 22, it says, so, so God and the psalmist, they turn the day. And I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus continues to recite this in his mind while he's on the cross. And I'll prove it to you in a minute. It says, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. Let's go to the next one. All right. Verse 25, it says, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. When God comes and meets you, we know the story of the cross, and it's, it's miraculous that Jesus, being the perfect expression of what humanity can do when empowered fully by the Holy Spirit, recites this whole thing. He actually goes into a place of celebration and gratitude while on the cross. Um, and he begins to model for us what it means to construct a monument of praise. A monument of praise is celebrating God and his deliverance amongst the community of believers. That's step number one. Like, just understand that that's actually a responsibility you have. If you want to build a monument for God, it's not like you just make a little model in your house of a, a stand, like three stones and you put it on your shelf and just go, 
that was it. A, mo a monument for God is not just for you. It's something you do with other believers. You tell them, God did this for me. He came and met me, and I'm celebrating him. And it goes further. It's like you're supposed to praise and celebrate in a congregation for what he's done for you. This Up here it says, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. I think that's really interesting. I think it's interesting that the psalmist and Jesus, they say, God has delivered me, therefore I will fulfill my vow. And what the vow is, is I will minister to the poor. It's so fundamental to a healthy expression of a faithful person in God that you, you turn the favor God has given you towards those that have less, and you, you, you lift people up who need to be lifted up. God says that is how we celebrate and praise God. It's like God in his, all his power comes down, helps you, gives you what you need to get through the season you're in, and the only way you can repay him is turning and lifting up others in the same way he repaid you. And so I want to encourage you guys, the equation for building monuments that will actually work for you, it's not hard, but it's very selfless. It's, God, I thank you, I celebrate you, and I want to then turn and help others and celebrate what God can do in their life. It's simple math, but I just want to ask you, have you been doing it? Have you been faithfully, when God delivers you, celebrating the ways he delivers? Have you been faithfully turning to him and going, you are good, you are good, you are good, or are you just a lion? Are you just a lion that's constantly like, oh my gosh, where are you? I got some serious things and you're not coming. Or are you remembering the good? Are you celebrating the good? And it will empower you then to turn and empower others. All right, let's look at the next one. 27, international mon monuments and dominion. At the all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Really interesting that this is written by a psalmist way before we were ever talking about bringing non-Jewish people into the faith. He's already looking forward and seeing a point where God is over all peoples. He, he's not just in dominion over the Israel and the Jews. He's over the entire world. And so you see the view beginning to expand. Even while in a place of pain, he's able to see God is not, he's so much bigger than this moment. He's over the whole earth. And that's what enables him to be faithful. All right, let's look at this last one here. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Oh, that's pretty cool. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Okay, he has done it is the same language for it is finished. Do you guys remember when he was on the cross? Let's look at the next, next slide. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus, while on the cross, recites this entire psalm. He recites the entire psalm from the point of, I'm dying and I'm alone, but I know I'm on mission. You're great, 
and you are good. I'm dying and I'm being surrounded, but you are good and you've been faithful. I'm dying and they're closer and the lion's teeth are on my neck, but you are faithful to a thousand generations. You're faithful to a thousand generations. In fact, God, you will reign over all the earth. You'll, you will, your dominion will expand from people to people to people. Your story will never end. You are God over all. And it's finished. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. This is who Jesus was. He was a man like us, but he was empowered by, by a king to endure circumstances that were so otherworldly. And you say, my moment, my history, my life, it's challenged, it's challenging, it's not what I thought it would be, it's not going the way I thought it would. But you turn and you look at the things God has done for you. You turn and you look at the things he's done for others. And you remember with your heart and your mind that, that he reigns over all of this. And I, I refuse to let these moments and these circumstances change my, my perspective of him. He will be in his proper place. See, Jesus modeled what it's like to live off of a monument. He saw death approaching, but he was able to turn and remember the great promise of God. So much so that he's, he's like literally reciting scripture that's celebrating God and his dominion all the way till his death. That last one, and I just want to read that last one, 29 through 31 again. If you go back one slide. If you can imagine Jesus coming to this conclusion at the end of his time on the cross, it says, To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that it is finished. He has done it. So, so cool. All right. One more slide. One more. Uh-huh. There you go. I want to challenge us that we need both of these in our life. And I want to challenge you guys and remind you, if you are a lion today, it's okay. It's okay. I want you to begin to fill yourself up with a balance to where you can go to a place of deep pain, fear, challenge with God, but it's countered by a deep awareness of his faithfulness to you and the generations who have come before you. And as you do that, as you bounce back and forth as you're navigating your circumstance, as you say, God, I don't understand, but you're good. As you say, God, I'm in pain, but you've been faithful to generation after generation. Or God, I don't know where this is all going, but you will be worshipped by all humanity forever, and you will win. Your story wins the day in my life, and I will serve you. I will celebrate you. You're then acting in like spirit with Jesus. You're in step with a king who's empowered a people to live supernaturally. This is how you walk in concert with the king is that you yield your internal dialogue to a pattern of honesty and absolute devotion. And you never waver between those two. Those two are completely permissible. But if you give up absolute devotion, 
and then you give up or you give up honesty, you'll find that you're not able to navigate anymore with clarity. And so I just want, I want you guys with me to be challenged in this way. Oftentimes when we have pain in our life and we have moments or seasons where it feels like all we can do is recite the lion phrases, and sometimes it's as if those things never reconcile. It's like we go through a season, whether it's like a familial thing, whether it's a financial thing, a hardship, a a breakup, whatever. It's like something that's so impacting that we go to that place of pain because we're forced there and it feels like Jesus never arrived. And so we just kind of keep motoring on. We keep moving on. I want to challenge you guys to return to those places of pain and counter it with a praise of how big God is in spite of your lack of understanding. If you're not able to turn and look at your cross, if you're not able to turn and look at at that season of devastation and say with honesty that God reigns. He is king and I will serve him with absolute praise because he's enthroned on praise. It is true that he is bigger and he deserves my joy and he deserves my hope. If you're not able to turn and look at those moments and those seasons, and actually counter them the way that Jesus did. There's going to be a part of you that's broken and in pain and susceptible to that harassment for the rest of your life. You guys remember the, like, the Jesus is like, hey, I got voices all around me right now. I'm in pain and there's nobody here. All I got is voices mocking me and telling me what's wrong. And I'll tell you guys, you could be 10 years removed from that, that season of pain, but anytime something comes up that reminds you of that, those voices pop up and they're loud. And then you agree with them. And it's like, this is pain, it's pain, it's pain. I gotta shut it down because I, I don't have an answer. And what, what in truth is happening is you maybe turn to God, but you stop turning to God as it relates to that thing because it was too painful that he didn't deliver you completely. Or, alternatively, you never were able to reconcile that God is bigger and in control. And you weren't able to say, God, I don't know why that happened, but I praise you anyway, because I, I know that you're good and I know that you're king. And I'm actually able to walk all the way over there in my mind and go, somehow you're going to work this thing together for my good. That is the God that I'm serving. And so I just want to challenge you guys. This is not, not a quick, like, momentary thing. But I just want to ask you, are you free? Are you joyful? Are you led by God, like, absolutely like a feather in the wind, where he's like, go here. And you're like, yes, joyfully I go. Or he's like, hey, give your money to this person. And you're like, yes, do it. Or are you constantly, like, strained, Anytime you feel directed of the Lord, are you, are you pulled and, like, and broken in different ways to where you can't fluidly move with Jesus and you don't always find yourself susceptible to joy? You actually have to fight for it. I'd, I'd ask 
maybe there's parts of you, like if your heart's a big circle, there's, there's pie slices where there was, there was seasons of mistrust because all you did was cry out like a lion and you never actually got to God, you're here and you're my deliverer. And though this may not reconcile the way I think, Jesus did die after all. I know the story's longer than this moment. And I know you're going you're gonna to turn all this together for my good. And so it's a simple equation, guys. You don't have to live in the pains of your past, but you have to turn and go, God, I trust you. I declare your goodness. That hurt, so a little lion shows up again. That hurt, that was hard, but I want to give that part of my heart and life to you, and I want to celebrate you because I know one day you'll show me how you were working in my life during that season. And good will come to pass as a result of me today saying I want to go forward in joy and praise and celebration no matter what happens to me. Because I am your son and I want to follow the ways that you modeled for me on the cross. So Psalms 22 is a recipe for strength for all of us. We celebrate, we're loud and we're vocal and we're honest with our God and we, we end it by reminding ourselves that it's, it's finished. Jesus died on the cross. His resurrection pays for all of this. It will all be reconciled in the end. And so we can endure anything, anything, anything. We can endure anything and have joy as a regular companion because God is there. And that's what Jesus did for us. Good? All right, let me pray for you guys. Father, I just ask that my little baby lions and my little baby pull-up machines could bridge the gap and we would be mighty warriors where we're so, so honest, so clear, but so hopeful, so, so full of endurance and full of celebration of the good you've done in our lives that all of these things that we're facing feel smaller and smaller and smaller and you arrive in those circumstances, past or present, and show us how big you are. We invite you, God, into all the aspects of our life. We invite you into our fears. We invite you into our hopes. We invite you into our past pain. And we say, God, you are king. You are king. You reign over it all. And we give you permission to invade those spaces of our heart, make them new, soft, flesh-like again, and give us great hope moving forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 All right, love you guys. Go do some pull-ups. <laughs>